0: Before uh, turning with me to Judges chapter 3 tonight, I want you to look at Psalm 107, please. Mm-hmm. Psalm 107. In verse 1, we read, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he's good and his mercy endureth forever. We just read Psalm 136, all 26 verses. Say, the Lord's mercy endures forever. In these Old Testament studies that we've done over the past 10 years, uh, I think we've seen that, haven't we? We've seen just how good and merciful the Lord is to his people. And because of that, the psalmist says here in verse 2, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And that's what we preach. We preach the goodness and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the redeemed rejoice in. The goodness and the mercy of God. Uh, they both endure forever forever. Don't have to worry about losing my salvation because I didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. I can't do anything to lose it because it's in Christ who did it for me. And therefore, I'm secure forever. Once saved, always saved. Oh, you can't say that. Oh, yes, I can. That's what this book teaches. I am safe and secure because His mercy toward me in Christ endures forever. And we, as the redeemed say so, we tell everyone we can. Verse three, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and, he delivered them out of their distresses. Look at verse 8. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfied. Who does? He does, the Lord. He satisfied the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. What does the Lord do? Why? Who does this Lord do these gracious things for? Verse 10. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of the Lord and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, He brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was no, there was none to help. Then, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and brake their bands and sunder. And what should the response of those who the Lord does these things for be? Verse 15, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Now look at verse 16, for he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron and sunder. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word. He sent Christ. That's what that means. And healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And again, what should the delivered soul who the Lord graciously delivered do? Verse 21. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. And again, what should these recipients of God's mercy do? Verse 22. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving. Be thankful. Be thankful and declare his works with rejoicing. Tell others what Christ has done for you. And then again, we see that everything that comes to pass is is of the hand of the Lord. Everything. There are some who have great difficulty with that glorious truth. I, I, know, I know of some that do. And it's so sad because that's the very thing that gives the child of God hope and comfort and rest and assurance, knowing that He does all things well and for the good of His people. Verse 23, the sovereignty of God. It's all in the Scriptures. They that go down to the sea and ships that do business in great waters, These see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lifteth up the waves therein. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wits end. Then, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble and He bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet, so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Oh, that men, mankind would, and oh, that mankind should. We should. Praise the Lord for His goodness and His wonderful works to us. Verse 32, let them exalt Him also in the congregation of the people and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. Now just a few minutes ago we read Psalm 136 and as I said in all 26 verses we're reminded that we should give thanks Unto the Lord, because he is good, and his mercy endureth forever. And what a wondrous truth that is. Let us never forget that his mercy endures forever to those who are in Christ. There's no mercy apart from Christ. There's no love apart from Christ. God, people say God loves everybody, and then they never mention Christ. No, he doesn't. He loves sinners in Christ. No other place. And that's exactly what Israel should have done every single time the Lord raised up a judge, a deliverer. But they always fell back into disobedience and idolatry. We've seen that time and time again already in this study of Judges, and we're only in chapter 3. And now if you'll turn with me there, Judges 3, I want to begin tonight in verse 12, where we see that the children of Israel, it was just... More of the same. More of the same. Judges 3 verse 12. And the children of Israel did evil again. Again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, Eglon the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord because of Israel's disobedience because of their rebellion their idolatry that little word and that connects the dots to us because of these things the Lord strengthened Eglon the king of Moab against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord and I'd have you notice here that it's God who strengthens the king named Eglon you know it's the Lord who turns the heart of the king whithersoever he weep. It's the Lord who makes the king and it's the Lord who breaks the king. That's what the scriptures say. The scriptures say concerning Pharaoh, God raised him up for this same purpose that he might show his power, that his name, God's name, might be declared throughout all the earth. Now look at verse 13. And he, being Eglon, or the Lord through Eglon, uh, gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek, and went and smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, eighteen years. Israel's previous captivity was eight years, and now they're serving eighteen years. And then the pattern begins again, and we read in verse fifteen, "But when the children of the of Israel cried unto the Lord, The Lord raised up a deliverer. He raised up a judge. That's what a judge is. That's what this book of Judges is about. The deliverers that the Lord raised up. And then they cried, as we read over and over and over again in Psalm 107. All the men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works. The pattern is... You disobey God, God sends trouble, and then we cry unto the Lord. Men and women live day in and day out without much thought of God, but when trouble comes, then they cry. I have seen that recently on a personal level. I have a friend of mine, known him since eighth grade, a dear friend. He recently had a cancerous, highly aggressive brain tumor removed, and his prognosis is uncertain at best. And in all our conversations in the past, always delightful conversations, a very, very kind man, gracious man. Um, There's never been much mention about God or prayer, but since, since then, that's all that He speaks of. Pray for me. Pray for me. I need your prayers. I need your prayers. And He does. And He does. And I need His. Then... We cry unto the Lord in our trouble. I'm guilty of the same thing. We pray with sincere and intense conviction when we're in the time of trouble. (laughs) The hope that we have in Christ is this and He saved them out of their distresses. He saved them out of their distresses. God doesn't promise, friends, that He'll heal brain tumors, but I know this, only He can. And what God promises is that He will deliver His people out of their distresses. God will make His people rest in their trouble. God never promised us a a rose garden, as they say. Matter of fact, He promised us just the opposite. He said, with much tribulation, you shall enter the kingdom of God. I look out to some of you tonight, and you've... You've experienced some real trouble. Many of you have lost spouses, lost loved ones, some even lost children, hurtful things, hard things. And you cried unto the Lord, and the Lord delivered you out of your distresses. He gave you peace. He gave you calm. He gave you rest. That's what the Lord promises God to make his people rest in their trouble rest in their diseases have peace in the midst of their trials find comfort in the days of tribulation and we're all good at being armchair quarterbacks as they say it's easy for us to armchair judge Israel we can sit back in our easy chair and say well I tell you what I wouldn't have done that or you know I I, uh, I wouldn't have acted that way but to what depths? of darkness am I capable of plummeting to if the Lord lead me to myself? To what depths of depravity would I sink if I no longer had my great intercessor at the right hand of God pleading my cause as the only one that God hears? The truth is, without Christ, none of us would make it. I would have you to notice that Verse 12 there does not begin with the word but, as if this is something that fallen men and women do out of the ordinary. Verse 12 begins with the word and, which shows us that this is the natural course of mankind's nature and depravity. And, just like always, the children of Israel did evil again in the sight. Of the Lord again and again and again. I need mercy that endures forever. Because I again and again and again sin against the Lord. I, I don't want to. I, I abhor myself. I hate my sin. Uh, but and <laughs> just like always. In the story of Judges, that word again reveals and assures us that the characters in the story may change. But the heart of man by nature, nature certainly doesn't. Its thoughts are only evil continually. One generation after another, just downwardly, spiral into more disobedience and more idolatry. And yet, God in mercy would send again another judge, another deliverer to deliver them out of their distresses. And in the end, the Lord is going to bring all His elect to their knees at His feet and they will forever worship their divine deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because his mercy endures forever. And in Christ, we have that comfort and assurance. Okay, verse 15. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer. Ah, Ahud, this is how that's pronounced, I pronounced it wrong for a long time, the son of uh, Gira or Gira, I don't know, a Benjamite, a man left handed. And by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon the king of Moab. Now it's interesting that the name Eglon means bull or young bull whose strength is given by the Lord against Israel. He just bulled his way uh, into victory over them. The judge, the deliverer, Ahud means united it also means I will be thanked or I will be praised. And of course, Benjamin means son of thy right hand. And it's said here that Ahud was left-handed. Now, I don't know the full significance of that. It may be that it served him well to better hide the dagger that he's going to use to kill uh, Eglon. You know, I remember in grade school, if someone was left-handed to the teacher would actually try to change it. Change, you know, They'd take the pencil out of the child's left hand and put it in the right as if it was uh, some kind of weakness or disability. Uh, we have a daughter that's left-handed. and uh, But she gets along fine. She writes a whole lot better than I do. <laughs> but the phrase here is thought to not be so much a defect, but as a strength. And the power is to use both the left and right hands equally well. In Judges chapter 20, for example, verse 16, we're told among all this people, there were 700 chosen men left-handed, and everyone could sling stones at a hairbreadth and not miss. In Chronicles chapter twelve, verse two, it said that among the mighty men, helpers of the war, there were men who were armed with bows who could use both the right hand and the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a bow. Now I don't I don't like I said, I don't know the full significance of that, but I know this. Ahud, the Benjamite, is given these names and this ability of using both hands. To point us to Christ who is the only one who can save us from our sins. Our Savior will be thanked and praised. He's at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's what Ahud's name means. And listen, he has the ability to deliver us from our enemy with one hand tied behind his back. Left or right, don't matter. What a Savior we have. The salvation of the people of God involves the destruction of the enemy. And when Christ was nailed to Calvary's tree, all that opposed us, he openly triumphed over. Satan and sin had to be eliminated. Look at verse 16. But Ahud made him a dagger, which had two edges of a cubit length. That's 18 inches from what I can see. Are fine, and he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh, and he brought the present unto Eglon, king of Moab, and Eglon was a very fat man. Now the dagger, no doubt here, represents the word of God. Uh, It's a double-edged sword of the Lord. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to rightly divide between the bone and marrow. It, God's word. Wounds when it goes in and heals when it comes out. It's a two-edged soul. The Word of God does not change men. It reveals who and what men are. The the Holy Spirit puts a new spirit within a a man. The Lord uses the Word of God to reveal to us our need of a new heart, our need of a Savior, a new creation. Eglon is described, as I said, as a very fat man. And what a picture of man's satisfaction with his state of idolatry and disobedience. All of us by nature love to feast upon the things of this world. And men and women by nature have a large girth of self righteousness, don't we? What a picture this is of us by nature. Verse 18. And when he, Ahud, had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. He had some, I don't know what this present is. Must have been something pretty big because he had help in bringing it. Not like he gave him a little piece of jewelry that he could have carried himself. We're not told what the present was, but the self-righteous just love to receive gifts. They love to receive tributes from those they rule over with their legalistic oppression. And the self-righteous love to have things done for them. They feel entitled. Uh, But, look at verse 19. But he, Ahud himself, turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand. Now the original word there for errand is word. I have a secret word unto thee, O king. And it seems from verses 18 and 19 that after this present was delivered, those who helped deliver the present uh, headed back to their boats, and Ahud is, is going along with them as he's going back home also. And he went with with them only as far as the quarry. Now the quarry here, the significance there, this was the place where the Moabites carved out their graven images and idols. It seems as though this one last glance of the Moab's idolatry motivated uh, Ahud to return to Eglon with a message from God. And this got the king's attention. And Eglon told all his servants to be quiet and to keep silent. He wanted to hear this secret word without any distractions. Verse 20, And Ahud came unto him, And he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ahud said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he, Eglon, arose out of his seat. A little study here reveals that Ahud used the Hebrew word title here of God as Elohim. And Ahud used the title Elohim in a plural sense. Uh, And Eglon took this as if Ahud was attributing deity to the gods of Moab. So he jumped up out of his seat and he waited with great anticipation. In his mind, uh, a secret word was well-deserved for a great king like him. I'm sure he thought to himself, I bet he does have a word, because after all, I am a great king. And I'm amazed at the arrogance of the self-righteous. Holier than thou really means more entitled than thou. Uh, What do we have, friends, if we did not receive? And if we received it, why do we glory as if we didn't receive it? Everything we've got, physically, spiritually, it's all a gift of God. Ahud delivered this message as a true servant preacher should. They're armed to kill with the word of God. Now you say, well, that makes that sounds a little strange. Well, the message from God is the glorious message of redemption in Christ. In uh, the salvation of chosen sinners. It's the most glorious, beautiful message a sinner could ever hear. But it's also a message of wrath, indignation, and condemnation against the idols of this world and those who love and worship them. Yes, sir. It's a two-edged sword. Second Corinthians, let me read this passage to you. Chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. For we, speaking to believers, are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved, and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to other the savor of life unto life. And who's sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. You see, to the bona fide sinner, the message of substitution the message of satisfaction, the message of salvation is the the gospel. It's good, good news. (laughs) But to those who will not have Christ to rule over them, those who serve the idols of their own work, their own righteousness, their own merit, the messenger and his message are out to kill. Roth Barnard used to Say to the unconverted, if I'm ever going to introduce to you my God, I'm going to have to kill your God first. And that, isn't that? There's so much truth to that. You know, uh, folks say, "Well, you uh, preach awful negative against religion sometimes." Well, we're just trying to kill their God. Uh, He's he's not worth shooting, really. Verse 21, And Ahud put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the haft, half of the blade, nine inches of that blade, also went in after the blade, and the fat closed upon the blade so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly. And the dirt came out. Brother Tim James in his commentary on Judges said, Once the Word of God finds its target, it doesn't go away. Men and women have no control over what the Word of God does to them. It's a well-placed dagger that cannot be removed. If It'll prick your heart and make you call on God for salvation, or it'll pierce your heart and kill you to the things of grace. The Hebrew Bible tells us that Ahud pierced Eglon with a dagger uh, that food came out. And whatever, it seems to me here, whatever he had eaten, mixed with water and with blood, looked like dirt. But what a picture, what a picture we have here of what is in us by nature. Dirt, filth, sin, sin. When Christ slayed our sin and the iniquity that we drink like water. We do, don't we? We drink iniquity like water. Along with the filthy, self-righteous iniquities that we gluttonously ate. It came out. It came out. And by God's grace and mercy, we were spared. And the filth of sin came out and was forever put away. That's what our mighty Deliverer has done for us. And that's what we have a picture of here. Christ putting away the sin as our great Deliverer. Look at verse 23. Then Ahud went forth through the porch and shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked them. And when he was gone out, his, speaking of Eglon's servants, came. And when they saw that... Behold, the doors of the parlor were locked. They said, Well, surely he covered his feet in his somber chamber. In other words, he's Big Eglon taking a nap, as he often does. Verse 25, And they tarried till they were ashamed, or that word means confounded, didn't know what to do. And behold, he opened not the doors of the parlor. Therefore, they took a key and opened them. And behold, their Lord was fallen down dead. On the earth, I think again about uh, uh, the uh, which was the which God of the Philistines uh, that they put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple with, and they came the next day and it was knocked over, and they set it back up, and the next day they came in, and it was falling over again, this time broken. Oh, anything that man makes a Lord other than Christ is gonna, is gonna fall. It's gonna be fallen dead on the earth. Verse twenty-six: And Ehud escaped. Ehud, excuse me, escaped while they tarried and passed beyond the quarries and escaped. And I believe that's pronounced Sehara. And as I told you earlier in the message, the name Ehud means united. His name gives strong reference to our English word, union. And when Ahud escaped to Seirah, that's talking about Mount Ephraim, which is also called the mountains of Israel. I think about the Lord Jesus Christ, who died in the sinner's room instead. He arose from the dead, and we were united with him. We were united with him in life, and in death, and in burial, and In his resurrection and in his ascension, we're one with him. That's a beautiful word, united, union. The Lord Jesus escaped into the mountain of true Israel at the right hand of God. And the child of God was united with him there because we are one in union with him. Verse 27 And it came to pass when he was come that he blew a trumpet in the mountain of Ephraim. And the children of Israel went down with him from the mountain, he before them. And he said unto them, follow after me, for the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And they went down after him and took the fords of Jordan toward Moab and suffered not a man to pass over. And they slew of Moab at that time about 10,000 men, all lusty, all big men, I guess they admired their king so much they wanted to look like him. And all men of valor, and there escaped not a man. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest fourscore years, 80 years. God's deliverer, Christ Jesus, subdues and destroys our great enemy of sin, and the children of God have rest. And it's just beautiful. God's Word is beautiful, isn't it? And the land had rest, and we have rest in Christ. And it's a whole lot longer than 80 years. His mercy endures how long? Forever. <laughs> Forever. Beloved, I have a message from God for you. The Lord Jesus said, Come unto Me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, laden heavy with your sin, and I'll give you rest. And He gives us rest by putting away our sin, the guilt of sin, the burden of sin. And He does so by the sacrifice of Himself. So do you hear the trumpet blowing? It's blowing from the mount of God's throne. The sound of this trump is not for us to go down, but to go up and to stand before God accepted in Christ the Beloved. Matthew 24, 30. Let me read this to you in closing. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great joy. And He shall send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. (laughs) That's good news. And that's for every child of God who puts their trust in their great deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, may God be pleased to enable us to do just that. Put our trust in Him and Him alone for His glory, for our good, and for Christ's sake.